0: Now, let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Well, good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. Happy Easter. Happy Easter, thank you. Happy Easter to you guys. If you're new with us here at River Bible Church, welcome. We are so glad that you've decided to, to worship our Lord and our Savior uh, with us today. My name is Dustin Daniels. I'm the pastor-teacher here at River Bible Church, and today is... Uh, you know, it's something that we do every Sunday here at River Bible Church. We worship the Lord. Uh, but this is obviously a very special day as we, uh, we're going to look specifically at the the death and the burial and the resurrection uh, from the Gospel of Luke. And what we're going to do is we're going to focus on a really an interesting conversation that Jesus has with two disciples as they are walking to a town called Emmaus. And this is on Sunday morning. So let me spend a few minutes here setting the scene before we dive into our text. These two disciples of Jesus, they are frustrated, they are, you know, they're mad, they're they're angry, they're sad, all at the same time. Why is that? Well, because a man named Jesus was murdered two days prior. Two days ago, Jesus had been arrested by his own people, the Jewish chief priests, the chief priests, they brought Jesus to a man named Pontius Pilate. He was the Roman governor overseeing Jerusalem. And these religious leaders, they want this rogue rabbi, this guy named Jesus from Nazareth, they want him dead. What's his crime? Well, he claims to be God. And as with most politicians today, Pilate, he's, just, he's trying to keep the peace. Pilate's not interested in in the Jewish religion. Pilate is a Roman, and his god is Caesar, which is pretty interesting because Caesar just happens to be his boss. So Pilate, what he does is he passes Jesus off to another politician, King Herod. So Jesus is tied up as a criminal. He's escorted with all the political pomp and the circumstance before Herod. And Herod, he was actually delighted to finally meet this Jesus. Herod wanted to see a miracle, as if Jesus were some type of magician. Jesus refuses to speak with Herod, though, so Herod sends Jesus back to Pontius Pilate. And meanwhile, the religious leaders, they've created this mob outside of Pilate's office. And they're trying to convince Pilate to crucify Jesus. And while this political drama unfolds, the Roman soldiers, they learn that Jesus is called the king of the Jews. So they decide to place thorns on his head. These thorns resemble a demented version of a king's crown. And then they beat those thorns into Jesus' skull. The soldiers then took Jesus, they beat him with a leather whip, That whip had nails in it, it had glass, it had other sharp instruments embedded into it. Most people die from this type of beating. It's called a Roman flogging. Uh, Pilate eventually gives into the pressure here of the Jewish leaders. He condemns Jesus to die. Why? Once again, because he's the king of the Jews. So Roman soldiers, they crucify Jesus between two thieves. Please know here that crucifixion is one of the worst ways anyone could ever die. It is a slow and excruciatingly painful death. What the soldiers would do is they would drive a nail into the wrist of each hand and one nail through his feet. If you've seen the movies, most time the, the nail goes through the palm. That's incorrect. The, the palm wouldn't be able to sustain the weight of the cross. This is part of the hand, in the, in the, the wrist is part of the hand in the, in the first century. Um, What Jesus would have to do is he would have to push off the cross to breathe. He would take a breath, and then he would have to relax that way. And as you can imagine, being nailed to the cross, the whole thing was torture. The Romans purposely had this form of of capital punishment to deter anyone from breaking their laws. So Jesus suffered on this cross for six hours. After three hours of the worst human suffering you can imagine, the next three hours were even worse. God the Father sent his righteous and perfect judgment for human sin on Jesus. The entire land goes dark. No one can see what this judgment looks like. Jesus then dies. He is buried. He's in a tomb for three days, and on the third day, Jesus is. Female disciples, they they go to er, to the tomb early in the morning. It's probably sunrise. I don't think they got a wink of sleep that night. They wanted to finish the Jewish burial preparations. So they get there, and guess what? Jesus is not there. So they freak out, and as they're freaking out, like, where's the body? Where's the body? Luke's gospel states that two angels show up hello, and terrify them even further. And these angels, they, these guys are witty. Look at this question. Luke 24, verse 5, they, they ask this. Hey, ladies, why are you looking for the living among the dead? You're in a graveyard, and Jesus is alive. You're in the wrong place, ladies. I love that. The women don't have an answer to this question, so what they do is they run back to the apostles, they tell them what happened, but guess what? The men, they're not listening. Big surprise. (laughs) (laughs) The men don't believe the women. Peter and John do, though. Uh, Pete, in typical fashion, they burst out the door, he runs to the tomb to only find Jesus' burial clothes. And this is where we pick up the narrative for our lesson today. So if you would, please stand now for the reading and the honoring of God's word. I'm going to read Luke 24, starting in verse 13, and the, uh, the uh, scriptures will be on the screen for you. That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. And he asked, What are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their face. And one of them, Cleopas, he replied, You must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here in the last few days. Really? What things? Jesus asked. (laughs) The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth. He was a prophet who, who did these powerful miracles and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But you know what? Our our leading priest and these other religious leaders, they handed him over to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. We had hoped. We had hoped that, that he was the Messiah who would come to rescue Israel. And all this happened three days ago. And then... Some women from our group, they they went to his tomb early in the morning and they they came back with this amazing report that they, they, they said that his body was missing and that they had seen angels who told them that Jesus, he's alive. Some of our men ran out to see and sure enough, his body's gone, just like the women said. And then Jesus said to them, you foolish people you find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. I mean, wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all of these things before entering into his glory? And then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they, they were nearing Emmaus. And the end of their journey. And Jesus acted as if he, were, <laughs> he was going to go on. But they begged him. They said, Stay with us the night. You know it is getting late. So he went home <laughs> with them. And as they sat down to eat, he he took the bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. And suddenly their eyes were opened and they, they recognized him. But at that moment, he disappeared. And they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and and how he explained the scriptures to us? Within within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem where they found the, the 11 disciples and the others who gathered with them who said, guys, the Lord really has risen. He appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus, they told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road, how they had recognized him and how he was breaking the bread. (laughs) And just as they were telling all about this, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. And he says, peace, peace be with you. But the whole group was startled and, and frightened thinking that they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened? Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see it's really me. Touch me. Make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. And still, (laughs) they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. And then he asked them, (laughs) you have anything to eat? (laughs) Uh, So they gave them a piece of broiled fish and he he ate it and they watched him eat. I love that. And then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms, it must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of the name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. And the message is this. That there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent, and you are witnesses of all of these things. So, dear friends, these are the very words from the authoritative, the inerrant, the inspired, the infallible word of Almighty God. Please pray with me. Father in heaven, Job writes this He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and he's gonna stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body, I'm gonna see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I'm gonna see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. Heavenly Father, we are overwhelmed at this thought as well, that you would send your son to pay the price that we could never pay a man that lived a perfect life and died a substitutionary death and did exactly as he said he was going to do. He was crucified, he died, he was buried in the tomb for three days and then he has the audacity to walk out of it. Father, we we praise you for this and we would ask now that you would teach us your word as we open up our text and learn about these two disciples. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen? Amen, Amen. Amen. have a seat guys, thank you. (coughs) Starting in verse 13, that same day two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. So it says, that same day, this day is Sunday. Same day Jesus walked out of his grave. Problem is, nobody knows where he is. So these two disciples were probably walking home to Emmaus after celebrating Passover in Jerusalem. Verse 14, as they walked along, they were talking about everything that happened. So what exactly is the everything that happened? Well, most likely these, these disciples are talking about everything that Jesus did in the past week. So if you remember on Monday, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a cult, massive crowds. They worshiped him as the Messiah. On Tuesday, Jesus threw out all the people that were buying and selling goods in the temple because they just turned it into a shopping mall. He made quite the spectacle doing that. Wednesday and Thursday... Jesus taught the people in the temple, and then at the same time, by teaching the people, he humiliated the uh, the Jewish leaders when they tried to trick him with some of their questions. Friday morning, those same Jewish leaders they arrested Jesus, they put him through a kangaroo court, they crucified him. Jesus died, was buried uh, on early Friday evening. Verse fifteen. So they talked about probably all of these things and they discussed these things Then all of a sudden, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. So Jesus joining this conversation may sound a little bit odd to us today, but it was not uncommon back then. Keep in mind, people had to walk everywhere. The roads were crowded. Additionally, Jewish culture in the first century was, was very, very different than ours. Everybody pretty much wants to be left alone today Not so much in the Jewish culture. Verse 16, but God, so that's God the Father, kept them, the disciples, from recognizing Jesus. So Jesus asked them, he said, what are you guys doing? What are you discussing? Why why are you so intent? What's going on? Good teachers always ask good questions, and Jesus does just that. And it's almost like they can't believe that that this stranger would ask such a silly question. They stopped short. Like, really? Sadness written across their face. And one of them, Cleopas, he said, man, you must be the only guy in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here in the last few days. And Jesus, another question, really? Really? What things? I love it. (coughs) Cleopas says, the things that happened to Jesus, this guy from Nazareth. He was a prophet who did these powerful miracles. He was mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. Well, Jesus is indeed a prophet. Cleo's title for Jesus is insufficient, though. This is our first clue that Cleopas, he doesn't understand the full story. And that's very important in our narrative today. Scripture states that Jesus is the Son of Man and the Son of God. Scripture states that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the God-Man. Scripture says that Jesus is the King of Kings. He is the Savior of the world. Regardless, Cleo says this, but our leading priest and other religious leaders, they, what they did is they handed him over to be condemned to death and they, they crucified him. And we, we had hoped, we, we were hoping that, that he was the Messiah. We, we had hoped that he came to rescue and redeem Israel. And all this stuff happened three days ago. We can't believe you haven't heard about all this. See, the Jews, they could not understand the value of a dead Messiah. They didn't understand the value of a dead king. Because at this point, the Jews expected, they assumed, a warrior, a warrior king. The the Jews wanted someone who would free them from Roman oppression and and establish the, the kingdom of God on earth, just like it's promised in the Old Testament. So just think Mel Gibson as Sir William Wallace in Braveheart. That's the kind, they're looking, the kind of guy they're looking for, right? Freda. That's the man they're looking for. They completely missed this. Verse 22. Cleo continues, he says, so, and then some of the women from our group, you're not going to believe this, they, they went to the tomb early this morning, and they came back with this amazing report. They said that his body was missing, and then, wait for it, they saw angels who told them that Jesus is alive. And then some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body it's not there, just as the women had said. So finally, Jesus interrupts here in verse 25. He says this. (laughs) He says, you foolish people. Note to self, it's never never good to be called a fool by Jesus. (laughs) I got that one right here. He says, you find it so hard to believe. Your translation may say, you are slow in believing. All the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Guys, it's all here. How could you not believe this? Now we think to ourselves, wow, I thought Jesus was, you know, he's a guy of love and kindness. Isn't that kind of harsh? Why would Jesus scold his disciples at this moment? Because it wasn't that they didn't believe the scriptures, they did. It was because their understanding of scripture was deficient. And that brings us to key point number one. An insufficient knowledge of scripture is dangerous. An insufficient knowledge of scripture is dangerous. Just as a pilot learns how to fly the airplane, he also needs to know how to land it. And Jesus scolded them because there was no excuse for their lack of understanding here. Not only in the Old Testament is it crystal clear about a suffering Messiah, but Jesus also repeatedly told the disciples about his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So he scolded them because They needed to know that it was God the Father's predetermined plan for Jesus, as God's son now, to be crucified, died, and rise on the third day. This is not an accident. This was part of God's plan since the very beginning of Adam and Eve. I mean, these disciples were Jews. They, they were supposed to fully understand and, and comprehend the, the reality of, of their sin within that sacrificial system. Scripture is crystal clear here, and that brings us to key point number two. There is no forgiveness of our sin without the shedding of blood. There is no forgiveness of our sin without the shedding of blood. See, the Jews knew that their personal sin must be paid for by someone else. But here's the deal they they, they didn't put it together. That it was Jesus' death that was the once and for all final substitute and the sacrifice for everyone who believes. So Jesus continues here in verse 46, 26. He says, Wasn't it clearly predicted? That the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering into his glory? And then Jesus took them through all the writings of of Moses, all the prophets, and he explained all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Now I don't know about you guys, but that's a DVD I want to see when I get to heaven. I want to see Jesus explaining all of that. Jesus probably started at the beginning, and he explained how after Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, that that Jesus himself, the pre-incarnate Christ, killed an animal to provide coverings for Adam and Eve, and right there from the start, blood was shed in the garden because of their sin. Jesus probably explained how he accepted Abel's sacrifice because it was a blood sacrifice and he rejected Cain's because it was not. Jesus could have explained the flood and how after the flood Noah built an altar and he, he offered blood sacrifices for their sin. Jesus most likely explained the Exodus and how the manna pictured him as the true bread from heaven. Jesus probably explained how and why the sacrificial system involved the deaths of countless innocent animals and and how those sacrifices, they were only a temporary band-aid to the sin problem. Those animal sacrifices, they did not ultimately satisfy God's justice for sin. Why is that? Why is that? Well, because they're, they're animals it was not an animal who sinned it was man and that's why Jesus had to I'm sorry that's why the Jews had to keep celebrating the Passover year after year after year they had to keep doing the same thing over and over and over again because those Passover lambs ultimately they point to Jesus as the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the so from Jesus' perspective, there's no excuse for not realizing what the empty grave means that Sunday morning. The ultimate sacrifice for sin, it had to come from a man because it was man who sinned. But it couldn't be just any man. It had to be a perfect man, which then points to Jesus Christ. As the son of man, Jesus was born of a woman, meaning he's a real person. He's not a figment of our imagination. Not only that, but he was born of a virgin as well, meaning that he is also the son of God because it was the Holy Spirit who impregnated her. The reason that happened was because God Almighty had to bypass human sin. So we have Jesus Christ, we have Almighty God in human flesh, flesh and bones, which means that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice for human sin. Theologically, we call this the hypostatic union. Jesus Christ, his very name, Jesus, means God saves. Christ means by the anointed one. So when you put it together, God saves by the anointed one. Jesus Christ. That's why when people swear When they take the Lord's name in vain, when they they take his name, his first name, and his title, they always use Jesus Christ. How many people have you heard take the name of Muhammad in in vain? When they hit their their finger with with a hammer, do they say, Buddha? (laughs) They don't. Why do they do that? They don't realize that the name they take in vain is the only name that can save. Verse 28, by this time they were nearing Emmaus and the the end of their journey, and Jesus acted as if he were going on. But they begged him. They said, stay stay the night with us since it's getting late. So he went home with them. And as everybody sat down, he took the bread and he blessed it, and then he broke it and, and gave it to them. Now, verse 30 is a bit odd here because the host is responsible for breaking the bread and initiating this meal. But why did Jesus do it instead? Well, I think evidently the disciples were so wrapped up in Jesus's teaching, they forgot about eating altogether. They're not hungry at all. Verse 31, Jesus breaks the bread. Bam, suddenly their eyes were opened And they recognized him. And at that moment, the moment that they recognize him, he disappears. Luke doesn't record their emotions. But you know what? If I were a betting man, I'm thinking that freaked them out a little bit. Verse 32, they said to each other, man, didn't our heart... Didn't our heart burn within us as he talked with us on the road and he explained these things? He taught us these things. He interpreted these things to us. Didn't our hearts burn? Didn't we come alive? As disciples, the, the, as disciples today, all of us, if we believe this message, the same thing happens to us, doesn't it? Understanding the meaning of the Bible, it fulfills our deepest longings in life. Nothing else compares to it. Brings us to key point number three. To know and understand the Bible correctly is the same as correctly knowing and understanding God himself. To know and understand the word of almighty God is the same as correctly knowing and understanding almighty God himself. Why is that? Because the Bible is God's revelation of Himself to mankind. Look at this. I love this, verse 33. Within the hour, these disciples are on their way back to Jerusalem. These two disciples didn't even eat. They just walked seven miles from Jerusalem, and now they're so excited they want to walk another seven miles back to Jerusalem. That's 14 miles. That's like walking from church to Jerome and back. Six hours total, so now they've got another three hours to walk to Jerusalem. And by this time, it's probably 9 p.m., maybe 10 p.m., which makes this a very, very dangerous trip. Regardless, they make the trip. Verse 33 continues here. And there, they found the 11 disciples the others who had gathered with them. I love this. As soon as these two disciples walk in the door, look what happens. Verse 34, guys, guys, the Lord has really risen. He's even appeared to Peter. And then the, the two from Emmaus, they told their story. I said, wow, Jesus also appeared to us. We were walking along the road And how we recognize them as soon as he broke the bread. Verse 36, and just as they were telling about it. They're telling these stories, right? Guess what? Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. And he says, peace. Peace be with you. So just as Jesus left the disciples in Emmaus, Jesus now appears to them again in Jerusalem. Verse 37, the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking that they're seeing a ghost. Notice here that there is no hint of Jesus' physical body appearing supernatural in any way. Jesus' physical body is not doing anything other than being human. So Jesus is not, he wasn't dazzling like the, the transfiguration. So why do you think the disciples were so scared? They were scared because of how Jesus entered the room. He didn't use the door. He was just there. Wouldn't you be a little frightened? Jesus asked, guys, why are you so frightened? Why are your hearts filled with doubts? So Jesus asked two rhetorical questions here. There are no legitimate reasons for them to fear anything. See, this was a false fear, and it was based on their humanness. Jesus continues. He says, look at my hands. Look at my feet. You you can see it's really me, guys. I mean, touch me. Make sure. I'm I'm not a ghost. Ghosts don't have bodies. And as he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet, and still they just stood there. (laughs) They stood there in disbelief, and they're filled with joy and wonder. So the the disciples, they reacted, they responded just like you and I would, completely dumbfounded. And even though Jesus was physically present, they still could not believe it. It really seemed too good to be real. So they're, they're torn between hope, and doubt the the hope this is what Jesus has been saying the whole time we've been with him but the human side of us there's a doubt there's a fear so imagine this emotional roller coaster that they're on right now all this fear combined with joy man talk about going from one extreme to the next so Jesus he sees that nobody's convinced of anything here and he, he says in verse 41 hey you guys have anything to eat this whole rising from the dead thing has got me a little hungry. <laughs> this is a hard work. So they gave him a, a piece of broiled fish and he ate it. Now, how awkward is this? Verse 43 says, they watched. <laughs> how awkward is that? Jesus takes the fish. Thanks, guys. Tasty. Got any tartar (laughs) sauce? They watched him eat. Unbelievable. He gets done eating. In verse 44, he says this. Look, when I was with you before, I told you. I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms, it must, it must, must, must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds, here we go, to understand the scriptures. And he said, yeah, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. And it was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name. So that's Jesus's name to all the nations beginning right here in Jerusalem. And what's the message? The message is there is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Verse 48, he says, You are witnesses of all of these things. So, you guys have just heard a small section of the greatest true story ever told. And today is a a wonderful day. It's a great day to celebrate the death and the resurrection. Of Jesus Christ. But it's also a great day to think about your death. Because your afterlife is much more important than the one that you're living right now. Scripture only offers three choices for the afterlife. Number one, you got to be perfect. You got to be perfect to enter heaven. So, hey man, if you're a perfect person, no problem. You don't need this Jesus stuff. but if you're not perfect, then number two, you must accept a sacrifice on your behalf for your sin debt. You know, a decent human judge will not wink at your offense when you walk into the the courtroom. Why is that? Because you broke the law and the law demands that we pay our debt to society There is a price to be paid. And how much more so when we break God's moral law. Our sin is a moral crime against a thrice holy God. Yes, guys, God is a God of love. He is also a God of justice. And as we've read this morning, God is also a God of forgiveness. And this Forgiveness, this compassion, it comes through the shed blood of Jesus and that empty tomb. So it's your choice on whether you believe it or not. However, please know that there are consequences for not believing. If you don't accept the sacrifice of Jesus for your sin, then there is a third option. And it's this, that that you will pay for your sin yourself in a very real place called hell for eternity. Why eternity? Because we're not perfect. Dear friends, I know that's hard to hear. I know that makes us angry. I know that offends us. Some people call it hate speech. But look, it doesn't matter what others think. It only matters what God says. Death is the price for sin. Sin is the reason we all die. So where are you today as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday? Are you, are you like the disciples? Are you slow in believing the gospel? Have you ever wondered why, why that is? What, what are the specific reasons that you're slow in believing this story? Do you know what you believe and why you believe it? If you don't believe the gospel message this morning, I pray that you would give it some thought this week. Secondly, for those of you who do believe this gospel message, let me ask you, let me ask you this. In what other areas of your faith are you slow in believing? So, for example, are you slow to believe that we as disciples of Jesus, that we are to suffer in this life? Scripture tells us that we are to pick up our own cross. We are to follow Jesus wherever he leads. Are you slow in believing that? How do you know? How do you know if you're slow in believing? I'm going to ask a couple questions here. I'm going to ask the band to come back up the stage and prepare for the final song. Question number one. Do you accept suffering or do you run from it? Do you complain about it? Do you get mad at God when when trials and problems and pain and, and suffering ends up on your doorstep? Or are you quick to believe the lie of another gospel, this prosperity gospel, which says that this life is your best life right now? Are you slow to believe that a health crisis is for your own good? Are you slow to believe that the pain that you're in has very little to do with you and has more to do with the glory of Almighty God? The same thing can be said with our finances, our retirement, our plans, our kids, our grandkids, you name it, you just fill in the blank. But that problem Has less to do with us and more to do with the glory of Almighty God. As disciples of Jesus, in what area are you slow to believe? So, my brothers and my sisters, that is a question for you to consider and ask the risen Lord this week as well. Dear friends, that is a very quick overview of two disciples walking to Emmaus and they have a life-changing encounter with the Lord Jesus. Happy Easter. Father in heaven, you are so good to us. Thank you for allowing us to come together as a church, come together as guests. We get to come together as the Verde Valley and and open your word and sing songs and praise and give and serve and and fellowship. Thank you, Lord. We live a life that we do not deserve. We have it so much better than we deserve. So Lord, I pray that we have honored you today and I, I pray that we continue to ponder the resurrection story this week. For those of us who just, we're not there yet. We don't get it, we got some questions. And then for those of us who who do believe, what is it that's holding us back from experiencing you more? Regardless of where we are, Lord God, please draw us closer this week. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.